Praise God. Psalm 149. We're going to get into something. We're going to have so much fun today. We might have to unglue you from the wall and from the ceiling. We're going to have some fun with the word this morning. Psalm 149. We'll just read the whole thing. It says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with timbre and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. I want to focus in in particular on verse 6 that says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. I want to uh, let you know we are in a war. As a matter of fact, the, uh, it's an interesting way this psalm that we just read ends because it ends by saying this honor have all the saints. Well, if you look at that and you say, well, what, what's the honor? First of all, it's the honor of being a praiser, being one who praises the Lord. Being one who can lift up their voice and lift up their hands and get their groove on and praise the Lord. And also, it's the honor to do this. To have the high praises of God in your mouth. To have a two-edged sword in your hand. And to go out into battle and to win the battle. Because you're on the Lord's side, which means you're on the winning side. Hallelujah. What an honor to be in the Lord's army. But uh, who are we in this war against? Of course, we know Ephesians 6.12 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principality and power and the, the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. So, so you know that your battle, you're not fighting with your, uh, your cousin or uh, the, that person on the other side of the church that looked at you funny last week or anything like that. Your battle is not with people. Your battle is not with your boss. Your battle is against evil spirits, principalities, and powers. But the, the good news about this battle that we're, we're in, what kind of fight is it? Well, First Timothy Chapter 6, verse 12, Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. So it's a good fight. Now, now, I don't know of anybody who's ever gotten beaten up and said, well, that was a good fight. It's a good fight when you're the one who's doing the creaming of somebody else. <laughs> That's a good fight. And so if you're going to call this a good fight, that must mean that you've got the advantage in this fight. And it's not your enemy that it has the advantage, it's you. And also, what can our weapons do? We've got weapons here. We, we see the, the high praises of God in, in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. And let me tell you this, that two-edged sword uh, here for the New Testament church and for our spiritual battle, that sword is not in our hand. That sword is actually in our mouth. And that's why today what I'm going to talk to you about is the weapons that are in your mouth. The Word of God and the praises of God. 
the weapons that are in your mouth. Turn to 2 Corinthians 10. And I want to take a look at some more of what the scripture says about what what our weapons can do. What can your weapons do? What are they good for? And this is a verse that gives us a little insight into that. What can our weapons do? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to start looking with verse 3, and we'll go on from there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Pulling down strongholds. Let me give you a a simple definition of stronghold. It's something that has a strong hold on you. Anything that has a strong hold on you, that needs to be taken care of. Because there's not supposed to be something holding you. There's not supposed to be something that's keeping you down or holding you back. Or keeping you from being what God has ordained and created you to be. Instead, you're the one who's supposed to be strong. And you're the one who's supposed to be taking hold of who you are and your destiny and your rights in Christ. So if there's anybody supposed to do some stronging and some holding, it's you. You can tear down strongholds with the weapons of your warfare because they're not carnal weapons. They're not natural flesh weapons. They're spiritual weapons. And it's amazing. We always think that if something is invisible, we think of it as inferior to something that is visible. That's an absolute wrong way of thinking because the scripture makes it clear that the things that are seen were made of things which are not seen. So just because your weapon is invisible and of the realm of the spirit and not of the realm that you can touch or, or come in contact with your senses, that does not mean by any, not by any means is that an inferior weapon because it's unseen and because it's in the spirit realm. Let me tell you, those weapons can do a whole lot of changes in this realm that you live in. If you apply them and you use them, you can use an invisible weapon to visibly change things in your life. Glory to God. The first one of these weapons I want to get into is the Word. It's talking about these saints singing aloud and shouting aloud on their bed, giving glory to God. And when they go out to battle, they're going out to battle with the high praises of God in their mouth and something else with them. The two-edged sword of the Word of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 described that. Said the, the word of God is quick, it's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, divides asunder the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Ephesians 6 says the same thing. Ephesians 6, talking about the armor of God and you putting on the whole armor of God. 
And it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The interesting thing is that the, the word for word there in Ephesians 6 is the Greek word rhema, which means the spoken word. So I want you to know that for this word to be a sword to you, it's not a sword when it's sitting on your coffee table. It's not a sword when you're, it's sitting there on your lap. If you took your Bible and started doing gyrations like this with it, that would not scare the devil at all. It's not a sword when it's just a book laying on the table. It's a sword when it's in your mouth. When those words are in your mouth and coming out of your mouth, that's when the word is a sword. <coughs> Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, uh, I thought of something this morning. And it it was a beautiful thing. I just had some wonderful time with the Lord uh, this morning. I I got up and, oh boy, it was dark out when I got up. I thought, oh no, it's not that time of year yet, is it? (laughs) But but I'll tell you, I just had a wonderful time with the Lord. And this verse came to me over in Hebrews 5. Remember, it, it talked about babes right towards the end of the chapter and it said that babes are unskillful in the word of righteousness and the thing that hit me right there there is such a need for us as people of God to be skillful with our use of the word to be skilled with our use of our sword you know it's not just having a weapon it's knowing how to use your weapon (laughs) you know it's interesting people take the word and hurt themselves with it they beat themselves up. They condemn themselves. God's word is not meant to be a sword that you stick yourself with. Some people take the word beat others up with it. God's word is not intended for you to take and to stab somebody else with it. Now, now, now the, the word itself, the word can cut. But it's not your weapon against you. You're not fighting you. You're not fighting other people. It's your weapon against the enemy. Can the word be spoken and cut you? Absolutely. I've been cut lots of times. Anybody out there testify. But, but, you, but what, what I'm saying is that in you being skillful with the word, you, you're not supposed to cut yourself to your own harm. You, if you cut yourself, it's supposed to help you, not hurt you. It, 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 it's supposed to be something that, that, that cuts, but it's cutting off something that don't belong there. It's surgery. And once you get rid of the thing that don't belong, oh, you feel so much better. Amen. But it's meant to be for your help and for your health and not for your harm. And when ministering to other people, it's not supposed to uh, be, be for their harm. It's supposed to be for their help and their health, too. But when it comes to harming, you want to harm the devil, you can harm him all day long. It's all right. Amen. <laughs> but, but, but being skillful in the word, knowing your weapon, knowing how to use your weapon, how important that is. Jesus knew about using his weapon. As a matter of fact, uh, John described him in uh, Revelation. He, he, he saw a vision of him having the seven stars in his hand. And it said, out of his mouth went a two-edged sword. And we know Pastor John's been talking about the way Jesus used the sword. When the devil came to him and tempted him, and Jesus responded with a, it is written. I had to practice Pastor John's move to do that. You know what he's been doing, you know? It is written. 
Sometimes that's good to do, just to remind yourself. Hallelujah. But I, I want you to know that, that Jesus did that. And if Jesus did that, and he's our example and set an example for how we need to live this life and how we need to conquer the enemy, then we ought to be doing the same thing. As a matter of fact, Revelation 12, 11, how did they overcome the accuser of the brethren? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So you can use the word to overcome the enemy in your life. Hallelujah. Now, let me tell you something about speaking the word. This is very, very important. As a matter of fact, I'm going to share some things, some real good quotes with you today. But if you can't write it down uh, fast enough, what, what I did, uh, I, I, I sent some quotes out the other night so that they could be put on the church's Facebook page. So if you can't write them fast enough today, you can get them right there and have them permanently. Faith C Center on Facebook. We, we got some of our quotes that we're uh, going to put out this morning are right there for your convenience. But let me tell you this, that speaking the word is both a way for you to deposit the word into your heart. And it is also a way for you to withdraw the word from your heart. Stay with me. Speaking the word, it's a way for you to deposit the word into your heart. And it is also a way for you to withdraw the word from your heart. So point to your mouth and say this. This is my deposit slip and my withdrawal slip. You make deposits into your heart by speaking out the word out of your own mouth. You can make a withdrawal from your heart by speaking the word out of your mouth. Now, what's the problem? The problem is... In the spirit, as it is often in the natural, is people try to withdraw what they don't have in the account. (laughs) This is not hard stuff. This is easy. If you're trying to make a withdrawal of $500 and you got 50 in the bank, you've got a problem. And that check is going to bounce and you're going to get your fee and your insufficient funds notice. And that's never a fun thing to deal with. But spiritually speaking, I think a lot of times that our failures have to do with the fact that we are trying to pull out of the account something we never put into the account. My goodness, have you ever thought of it in that way? But it just makes things so clear. If, if you're going to make a demand on something, it's got to be in there. If, you, if you're going to use your faith in a certain area, you need to have faith in the account. If you're going to speak the word, you need to have some word in the account. That's why it is important to deposit the word into your heart in a regular, on a regular basis. Let me put it to you like this. And I, I got this quote. And it just became so real to me the other day in my office. If I had a chandelier in there, I'd have been swinging from it. (laughs) Let me tell this to you. If you speak the word intentionally to deposit it in your heart, then you'll be able to speak the word instinctively to withdraw it from your heart. When it comes to making the deposit, 
that, that just don't happen by accident. You need to do that intentionally, on purpose. Put it in there. So to put the word in your heart, you do that intentionally. You speak the word intentionally to put it in your heart. But then when you need to bring it out in the time of need, it's in there and it comes out instinctively. Why is that? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you made sure that your heart was abundantly full of the word and somebody squeezed you or some situation squeezed you, here comes the word. Because when you get squeezed, what is in you will come out. Hallelujah. Speak the word intentionally to deposit the word in your heart. And then you will speak the word instinctively to withdraw it out. Write this down. Proverbs 7.1. And I love the way it's uh, worded, especially in the Amplified Bible. He, uh, uh, he says, my son, keep my words. Lay up within you my commandments for use when needed. Oh, I like that. Keep my words, lay up within you my commandments for use when needed. Hallelujah. So what I propose to you is filling your heart with the word all the time rather than uh, when the emergency arises. Where's my Bible? Where's those verses? I know there's something in there about this. When all along you could have already had it in there, so when you needed it, you get squeezed and it just comes right out. I heard this quote, and, and this just blew me away. And, and it's real simple. If you fill your heart with the word when you don't need it, your heart will fill your mouth with the word when you do need it. Let me say it again. Come on, somebody. If you fill your heart with the word when you don't need it, then your heart will fill your mouth with the word when you do need it. In other words, if you deposit the word in your heart when the sun is shining, there'll be some word in there for you to withdraw on a cloudy day. Hallelujah. So use the word. Use the word to fight the battles of life. Use the word to fight for your family. Deuteronomy 6 describes a wonderful picture of of somebody uh, who's diligently teaching the commandments of the Lord to their children. Talking about them when they're sitting down, lying down, rising up, going for a walk, hanging out. All the time, the word is constantly in their mouth. Amen. Fight for your family, not with your family, for your family, with the Word of God. God's Word is also called a hammer. Did you know that? Write a reference down. Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine. Hallelujah. I'm glad to tell you that hard and stubborn circumstances can be broken through with the hammer of the Word. Hard and stubborn circumstances can be broken through with the hammer of the word. Jeremiah 23, 29, God said, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? You may have a situation in your life that that just feels to you like it's the biggest rock, the biggest boulder in the world. And, and, And you don't see any chance 
of, of that thing breaking through and breaking down and breaking apart. But you got a hammer. And so you start hammering. You start hammering. You don't see anything happening. But you keep on hammering. You keep on hammering. The Bible says, God said it himself, that the hammer will break the rock in pieces. You, you may feel like this rock's too big, my hammer's going to break. But no, the hammer's not going to break because the hammer's the word and his word endures forever. Ain't no chance of that breaking. Ain't no chance of that failing. If something's going to give, it's not going to be the hammer. It's the rock that you're banging with the hammer. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. So if you've got a big rock in your life, a big, hard, stubborn circumstance that you've got to deal with, you know what time it is? It's hammer time, y'all. If only I, if only I could do that dance, but, but I, I, I will not go there. But it is hammer time. It's time for you to get your hammer out and apply that over and over and over. Because it's not the, the, the hammer's not going to break. Don't worry, you, you ain't going to break the hammer. It's the rock that's going to break. It's the thing that is subject to change that will be changed by that which will never change. God's word never changes. When you take unchangeable word and apply it to changeable situation, situation will change. Word of God will never change. Hallelujah. The word's the weapon that you need to use when you need to get free from bondage. John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said to the Jews that believed on him, If if you uh, continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There's something about the word that will get you free from any bondage you're in in your life. As a matter of fact, James called it. In the first chapter of his epistle, he called it the perfect law of liberty. You want liberty, you want freedom in your life, what's the weapon that can get that for you? It's the word of God. Hallelujah. Now, as we've here talked about the word, let's spend some time talking about that other weapon, praise. Praise, one of the weapons that are in your mouth. Go ahead to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. Let's go there. Hallelujah. Man, I'll tell you, this is, this is rich. Psalm chapter 8. And I want to look into praise as being one of the weapons that are in our mouth. And you know what? We need to have some correction in our thinking. Um, We call the first half hour or so of one of our services on a Sunday or a Wednesday praise and worship. Some people, that's all the, the praise they do all week long. Some other people don't even get that because they don't show up on time enough to get it. But our thinking of praise and worship 
needs to change because we've thought of it as something we do when we go to church. And if, if you have that way of thinking, I'll tell you, you're going to be able to clearly see that's the reason why you've not enjoyed the victory that, that, that you, you think you should be enjoying and, and know you should be enjoying. Because if that's all the praise you get, you're missing out on a whole lot, y'all. Praise, one of the weapons in your mouth. Psalm 8, verse 2. It reads like this. It says, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Now, Jesus quoted this when he was entering into Jerusalem. This very same verse he quoted. He was entering into Jerusalem and uh, uh, all, all the, the people were yelling, Hosanna. And the religious guy said, Jesus, you need to shut them up. And Jesus made reference to this, but he interpreted it a little bit differently than the way we just read it. But I I think we can have a whole lot of confidence in Jesus' interpretation of Scripture. What did Jesus say? He said the same exact thing except for two words where it said, Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Instead of using the words ordained strength, Jesus said, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Now, if you're going to understand that with the way Jesus very clearly interpreted it, then let's read Psalm 82 with Jesus' terminology in there, and we're going to see something. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And let me ask you a question. Is there somebody that's been whispering in your ear lately that you would like to shut them up? You, you would like to silence the enemy. You would like to silence the avenger. There's a, a, a sure, fireproof way to do that. If there's somebody who's, I mean, as far as you're concerned, you just lied to me one too many times. You told me I was going to fail one too many times. You told me I was nothing one too many times. It's time to get your praise on. And when you get your praise on and you give glory to God and you lift your voice to God and you give him the praise and the glory that's due his name. Notice as you start opening your mouth with praise, somebody else shuts up and don't have anything to say. Because praise is the thing that can silence the enemy and the avenger in your life. Good God Almighty. Mm -mm -mm. Hallelujah. I love the wording of... 2 Samuel 22 and verse 4 says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So, by so doing, in doing so, that's what so means. I will be saved from my enemies. You want to be saved from your enemies, let me tell you what to do. 
This is what to do when you want to be saved from your enemies. You call on the Lord and you acknowledge his worthiness of praise. You acknowledge the fact that he's worthy. You give him the praise that's due and that's due him. And by so doing, you're putting yourself in a position to be saved from your enemies. Hallelujah. Go to Psalm 34. We saw in Psalm 8 that praise can silence the enemy and the avenger. And I want you to know that continual praise can result in continual victory in your life. Continual praise. Or you might say it like this. Consistent praise will result in consistent victory. Because if praise is a way to put the enemy and the avenger to silence, then you, you only get part of the benefit if you're a part-time praiser. But you don't want to be a part-time praiser. You want to be a full-time, overtime, all-the-time praiser. Oh, yeah. But you know what? Here's the thing. A lot of times we don't do things when we don't see the value of doing them. And we need to be reawakened to the value of praise and the value of that weapon that we have. Psalm 34, verse 1. Are you there? Psalm 34, 1. And I'm going to have you... We're going to take a walk through Psalms. The, The emphasis of... Being consistent and continually having a flow of praise going on. Psalm 34 verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is not part time sometimes. This is all the time y'all. Look at Psalm 35. Go to the very next chapter. Psalm 35. Yeah. Hallelujah. Look at verse 27 and 28. Psalm 35, 27 and 28 says, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Look at verse 28. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. So you're Continually saying, let the Lord be magnified, and you got your tongue speaking of his righteousness and praise all day long. Psalm 63, you don't have to turn to that one. Uh, 3 through 5 says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. Imagine that, saying to God, "What while I live, while I'm here, while I live, and I'm living a long time, not just here on planet Earth, I'm living for eternity, I'm an eternal spirit. And while I live, I will bless you. Go over to Psalm 71. Yeah. Glory to God. Why have we not been... Praisers more than we have been. We've really not understood the value. We've really not understood what happens when we praise. So I'll tell you, if some of y'all knew that you could shut the devil up with praise, you'd been having praise fits a long time before today. 
Hallelujah. Psalm 71 verse 8 says, let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Psalm 89 verse 1. Just go a few more pages. Psalm 89 verse 1. Hallelujah. What's that say? It says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Verse 1. How long are you going to sing of the mercies of the Lord? Forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. To all generations. That means this. You're going to go ahead and praise him for your own generation. You're going to praise him for the generation preceding you. You got some, some grandmas and grandpas around. Say, come on, grandma and grandpa, let's praise him. You got your children? Come on, let's praise them. You got some grandchildren? Let's praise them. All your life long and, and, and you want to leave a legacy of praise. I mean, you're serious about this thing. Because this is not just something we do when we go to church and, oh, well, I mean, if I'm 15 minutes late for it, it's all right. And, and, and I think... Somewhere along the way, there was a disconnect where we viewed praise just in that way. As opposed to being a regular part of our life where we're giving glory and honor to God all the time. And where we really got the revelation inside of us, first of all, of his worthiness and his deservedness to receive it. But then beyond that, the blessing that we get by so doing it. My, my, my. Continuous praise will bring continuous victory. Do you remember the story about Moses? Israel was fighting the Amalekites. Moses said, I'm going up to the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And what happened? Moses lifted up his hands. There's something about maintaining a posture of praise until the battle's over. (laughs) So Moses went up there and he had a posture of praise. Had his hands up. And as long as the hands were up, Israel was defeating the Amalekites. But, but, you know, his hands got heavy and came down after a while. And, and, and what happened when, when, when that praise posture was, was lost, then the Amalekites started overcoming and, 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 and winning the war against Israel. And then Aaron and her, thank God for some friends that are around you in the time of need. Put a rock under him where he could sit down. One get under one arm. One get under the other arm. And say, you know what? If it's tough to keep that praise posture going on. If, it, if, it, if the battle's getting long and weary. And it's tough to keep your praise going. Let me help you. Let me help you with your praise. Let me help you keep your praise going on. Because if you can keep that praise posture going on. All the way to the end of the battle. You win the battle. 
all for friends that will look out for you and say, come on now, hang in there, keep praising them, don't give up your praise, don't give up your expectation, don't give up your shout of victory. Maintain your posture of praise. Because you let up on it and you see things start going south. But you just hang in there and hang in there. Keep praising. Keep giving honor to God. Maintain that posture of praise. Which more than an outward posture is a posture of your inner man. And by so doing you will see that battle won in your life. Can you say glory to God? I got a quote for you. This is a long quote, but it's a good one. This is one of the ones that we put on our Facebook page. What are we doing when we praise the Lord? We are magnifying who he is. We are rehearsing his goodness. We are being reminded of how powerful and awesome he is. If you will praise the Lord in spite of your circumstances, you will begin to notice a difference in them. When you praise the Lord, when you magnify him, he begins to look bigger than your situation. He already is bigger than your situation. But praise just reminds us of that and brings everything back into perspective. What once seemed like a mountain is now reduced down to size compared to the magnitude and the majesty of the Lord. Think about magnifying the Lord. Magnifying the Lord. What do you do with a magnifying glass? You take something that looks small to you and you make that something look bigger. Now God's already as big as he can get. God don't need steroids. He's already as big as he can get. But oh, let me tell you this. Your view of him can grow. Your view of him can be magnified. The way you see him can be magnified. And especially the way you see him in comparison to the way you see your circumstance. And we've been so trained to see this big problem. And then there's God. And I hope he's out there somewhere. But when you are a praiser, you get a different perspective. You get this picture of a great big God. And then you say, oh, and there's a problem? Right. <laughs> because you're, you're more busy about noticing him than the problem. And you know what? That perspective is so much of the battle. That perspective is so much of the battle that you're not problem-minded, that you're not sickness-minded, that you're not lack-minded, that you're not situation-minded, that you're not worry-minded and anxiety-minded. You're mindful of Him. You're God-minded. And rather than thinking there's this big problem and, oh, I hope God can help it, you say, well, there's a big God and there's a little problem. Because when you use a magnifying glass of praise in your life, it has this effect. It gets God looking bigger to you and it looks that problem getting to, to be a measly little old thing. When it used to be a big old thing. When you magnify the Lord, it gets your focus right. Where he's big and problems little. Come on now. Hallelujah. 
You know, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. <laughs> so, so if praise is on the scene, God is on the scene. Have you ever thought of it in that way before? Well, I, you know, I sure need God to be on the scene in this situation. I really need his help with this. Well, yeah, the, there, there's the, the sense in which he said, I, I'm, I'm with you, I'm in you. I mean, he's living in there. But, but the, the idea of God actually manifesting himself and showing up happens when people praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. The, the, there's something about not just God's presence, but his, his manifesting. You, you, you see the difference? See, see, you can be here and nobody know you're here. But if you just got up and said, hey, everybody, I'm here, you are manifest. It is now known, it is now shown, it is now manifest that you are in the house. Remember Jehoshaphat and his army over in Second Chronicles 20? Imagine going out to, to battle, but, but rather than putting the army first, you put the singers first, who were to praise him in the beauty of holiness. Go out singing, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And I tell you, as a result of that, you had the three groups. You had the, the, the inhabitants of Mount Seir. You had the Ammonites and the, the Moabites. So they went out praising. And what happened is the Moabites and the Ammonites killed off the inhabitants of Mount Seir. And then what happened after that? The Ammonites and the Moabites turned on each other and killed each other. Didn't have to do anything. Didn't have to get all worked up. So, sometimes our, our, our mindset of spiritual warfare is, well, you just got to fight. And, but, but, you, you know, and, 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 and as though we're in this big wrestling match. Now, now, understand this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers. But, but what else does the Bible say about principalities and powers? The Bible said that Jesus is seated far above all principality and power. So let's take everything that the Bible says about principalities and powers and put it all together. So if we're, if we're wrestling with them, but if Jesus is seated far above them, and if we, like the Bible said, are seated together with him, if he's far above them, we're far above them too. That's not a difficult wrestling match. That's just enforcing the victory that's already been won. This is the extent of that wrestling match. Come on, y'all. Hallelujah. Oh, let me tell you this. You can use your weapon of praise to beat depression. Isaiah prophesying of Jesus. Being the one anointed by the Spirit of the Lord to bring deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and so on. Right in there it said that you can have the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Hallelujah. Some of us need to use that weapon of praise to put depression in its place once and for all. Glory to God. You know, you've got to praise him in the, in the middle of your test. You've got to praise him during your test before you get to praise him with your testimony. Let me say it again. You've got to praise him during your test before you get to praise him with your testimony. Oh, remember, Paul and Silas. 
over in that Philippian jail. Someone said Paul would have done real good on Wall Street because he knew a lot about stocks and bonds. But Paul and Silas, just a, just a little humor, not much. Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail in stocks. Backs blooded because they received stripes from preaching the gospel in jail. And it says at midnight they prayed and sang praises to God. The prisoners heard them. And there was an earthquake and everybody's bonds were loosed. (coughs) That's what praise will do. Praise him during your test. And you'll be able to praise him with your testimony. As we close today, remember Jericho, that big old walled city in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. Remember that? And they were supposed to march around there seven times. And the word was given that the priests would blow the trumpet. And when the trumpet's blown, after that seventh time walking around, shout. I don't want feedback now. Shout. And what, 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 what changed? What happened? That The wall was still up. There was still Jericho there. Everybody who was in there was still in there. The walls were still up, but the command was to shout. And once they did shout, what happened? The walls fell down flat. And I want to tell you something this morning, and this is very, very important. You need to get this. We are so mindful of the walls, and we're so mindful. Oh, if only the wall would fall. If only I had this out. Boy, I'd sure be praising the Lord if I got this out of my life. But I want you to know that God's instructions to the children was Israel, to the children of Israel, was not to shout after the wall fell, but was to shout first. And as a result of that shout, as a result of that shout of faith, that shout of obedience, that shout that said victory is mine when it didn't look like victory was yours, then that wall fell down flat. And so I want to tell you today in Faith Christian Center that whatever you've got dealing with, what kind of walls are up in your life, don't wait till the battle's over. Don't wait for the wall to fall. Shout now, and then the wall will fall, and you'll say, that's all, y'all. Hallelujah. Don't wait. Don't wait. Shout first. Shout first. Give God your shout of praise first. Don't wait for the bonds to be loose. Start praising God first. First things first. What happens? Oh, praise the Lord. If I could ever get out of this, I'd sure be praising the Lord. No, praise Him and you'll get out of it. Hallelujah. Let these words sink deep into your hearts today.